0: listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our scripture reading today is the first chapter of Daniel In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord let King Jehoiakim of Judah fall into his power, as well as some of the vessels of the house of God. These he brought to the land of Shinar and placed the vessels in the treasury of his gods. Then the king commanded his palace master, Ashpenaz, to bring some of the Israelites of the royal family and of the nobility, young men without physical defect and handsome, versed in every branch of wisdom, endowed with knowledge and insight, and competent to serve in the king's palace. They were to be taught the literature and language of the Chaldeans the king assigned them a daily portion of the royal rations of food and wine. They were to be educated for three years so that at the end of that time, they could be stationed in the king's court. Among them were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah from the tribe of Judah. The palace master gave them other names, Daniel, he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah, he called Shadrach, Mishael, he called Mech- Meshach. Meshach. Meshach, and Azariah, he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the royal rations of food and wine. So he asked the palace master to allow him not to defile himself. Now, God allowed Daniel to receive favor and compassion from the palace master. The palace master said to Daniel, I am afraid of my lord, the king. He has appointed your food and your drink. If he should see you in poorer condition than the other young men of your own age, you would endanger my head with a king. Then Daniel asked the guard whom the palace master had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. You can then compare our appearance with the appearance of the young men who eat the royal rations and deal with your servants according to what you observe. So he agreed to this proposal and tested them for ten days. At the end of 10 days, it was observed that they appeared better and fatter than all the young men who had been eating the royal rations. So the guard continued to withdraw their royal rations and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and skill in every aspect of literature and wisdom. Daniel also had insight into visions and dreams. At the end of the time that the king had set for them to be brought in, the palace master brought them into the presence of Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them. And among them all, no one was found to compare with Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they were stationed in the king's court. In every matter of wisdom and understanding concerning which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel continued there until the first year of King Cyrus. The word of God for the people of God.
1: Thanks thanks be to to God. God. Thank you for that reading, Martha. Again, I feel like I have to apologize. I don't know why you always get stuck (laughs) with the names. I don't know why it always happens, but you did an awesome job. so, So good work on that. So I know it doesn't really feel like we're in a new year exactly, it's almost, um, at least for me, it's almost more like the twilight zone, like we're in like the 13th month of 2020 or something, but we are in a new year, it's 2021, and we are starting a brand new teaching series today on the book of Daniel, and it's called Faith in Exile, which feels so appropriate for so many reasons right now. Before we get into it, though, a couple things to be aware of since we're worshiping from home, a couple um, of ways you can do maybe some of the stuff that you're used to doing when you're here in person. First, uh, if you go to the online worship page on our website, uh, address should be on the screen right now, uh, you're going to find a link where you can download the order of worship for today's service. It's in the same spot where there's usually a link to download the bulletin. We're not doing bulletins uh, with service being, uh, in-person service being suspended for the next few weeks, uh, but you'll find the order of worship there, and it includes the going deeper section that's normally on our sermon notes page. Uh, so if you want to dig a bit deeper each week and build on some of the stuff that we talk about here uh, on Sunday mornings, that is there for you On the website second thing normally when we have church in person every few weeks we have a sermon talk back where uh, a group of us hang out after church Um, we talk through any questions people have about the sermons go a little bit deeper not going to be doing that uh, with in-person services being suspended and folks uh, watching the live stream at various times too hard to coordinate but we are still planning to have a sort of virtual sermon talk back. <clears throat> what you can do is, uh, if you have any questions, you want to go a bit deeper, you want to ask about something I talked about that maybe wasn't quite clear, email your questions to the church, Brockport Baptist at gmail.com. There's also a box on the online worship page, and you can enter your questions there, whatever is easier. And once we get enough questions collected, I'll record a little video where I tackle some of those questions, and then we will share that through the newsletter, uh, promote it during the services, things like that, so you can uh, watch a pre-recorded Sermon Talk Back from home. All right, with those things out of the way, let's talk about Daniel. A lot of us somewhat familiar with this book. Um, There's some really weird stuff in the book of Daniel, especially the second half of the book. It's got a lot of these kind of trippy, psychedelic dreams and visions in them. For those of you who survived the 60s, you'll probably get a lot out of that. Um, But the first half of this book, um, the first maybe six chapters or so, we find a lot of stories, many of which uh, I know a number of us are going to remember from Sunday school as a kid. There's Daniel in the Lions Den, a heartwarming tale about an elderly man who is thrown into a den of lions, classic. Um, there's also the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, three young men who get thrown into an oven. It's a lot of throwing people into things in the book of Daniel to try to kill them. I'm not, I'm not quite sure uh, what's going on with all of that. I also don't know why we teach this stuff to, to kids. This is not a children's book. Um, what we do for some reason, and that is some of the stuff, some of the highlights that you might remember from your childhood. And this book is set during the exile. To start things off, I want to talk about the exile a little bit. I want to, I want to zoom out some, um, get like a, a broad picture of where this fits in the story of the Bible. And to do that, I made a little diagram that we'll be putting on your screen. This is a line here that represents the history of God's people in the Old Testament. Now, if you go to the left of this line, you're going to find, you know, all those early stories from the Bible, stuff like Adam and Eve, Noah's Ark, Cain and Abraham, uh, Abraham and Isaac, that kind of stuff from the early chapter of Genesis that happened before the Israelites were really a people. Then you get the Exodus story, this blue section here. And that's like Moses and Pharaoh, the Ten Commandments, parting of the Red Sea, the plague, all that stuff. That's Exodus, which is really the beginning, the origin of the Israelites as a people. Then the bulk of this line, this orange section that we're going to show you, um, these are the stories that make up most of our Old Testament. These are the stories of God's people living in the Promised Land. You've got Joshua fighting the Battle of Jericho. The stories from the book of Judges, all the stories of the kings of Israel are in here, so people like David, Saul, Solomon, uh, Hezekiah, that's all in here. All the prophets, folks like Elijah, Elisha, Isaiah, uh, Jonah, that's all in this huge chunk, really the bulk of the Old Testament. And then, after about 800 years of God's people living in the land, you get the Exile. When the Babylonians come to power, conquer Jerusalem, destroy the temple, and carry the people off into exile. This is where we meet Daniel and his friends. They are Jewish exiles living in Babylon. Now, I'm going to leave this picture up on the screen for, for a minute or two, because I want to make a couple of observations about this history before we really dive into the story of Daniel. I think it's important. As Christians, we often don't know what to make of the Old Testament, especially all the violent stuff, all the tribalism, our God can be your God, all that kind of stuff. But I think it's really important to pause and realize that this history, this story of God's people in the Old Testament, is bookended by two incredibly traumatic events. You've got the exodus with the experience of slavery, followed by 40 years of wandering through the desert. Then the Israelites are in the land for a stretch, and then you get exile, where they literally lose everything and are carried away from their homes. And like, we know the exodus story, right? We've seen the movie. Moses, the Ten Commandments, Prince of Egypt, parting the Red Sea, we are familiar with with this part of the story, the Exodus story. We know how the story starts. But we are not as well acquainted with exile. We don't know the end of the story. It doesn't make for a good movie, which is a shame because the exile is just as important as the Exodus. Have you ever noticed when you read the Bible, as you work through it, you keep running into refugees, people who are far from home. Take like the very first characters we meet, Adam and Eve. They live in this beautiful garden. It gives them everything they need, this promised land of sorts. They're in perfect relationship with each other, with the earth, with God, but then they screw up. Adam and Eve break covenant, and they are exiled from the garden, forced to go east which just so happens to be the direction of Babylon. Then, very next story, what, third page of the Bible, you meet Cain and Abel, the first siblings. And if you know this story, Cain kills his brother Abel, and then as punishment, he is driven into exile, forced to go east, further from Eden, closer to Babylon. Are are we sensing a theme here, (laughs) Yes. Abraham, the ancestor of God's people, spends the better part of his life as a refugee searching for a home. Moses kills a man, then he has to flee, going, you guessed it, east toward Babylon. The experience of exile shapes the entire story of the Bible. This one traumatic event casts a shadow over the whole rest of the Old Testament. And that is where the story of Daniel takes place. So let's dive into that story. It's enough introduction. Daniel chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Um, if you have a Bible at home, I want to encourage you to, to grab it and read along, or maybe follow it on your phones. Uh, you can pause this video if you have to. Uh, if you don't have a Bible handy, that's fine. We're going to put it on the screen as well. Daniel chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord let King Jehoiakim of Judah fall into his power, as well as some of the vessels of the house of God. These he brought to the land of Shinar, which is Babylon, and he placed the vessels in the treasury of his gods. There's a lot of history into those first two verses. A lot of trauma described in just a few sentences there. This is a historical event. The, the Babylonians laid siege to Jerusalem for three months. They documented it. Um, it happened between 598 and 597 BC. You don't have to remember the dates. There's not gonna be a test. But the Babylonians laid siege to the city for three months before breaking through the walls killing the king and installing a puppet government, a a, a phony king on the throne who was um, loyal to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. They then raided the temple treasury. They took all the best silver and gold back to Babylon, and then they did the same thing with the Jewish people. They forcibly relocated them to Babylon, which we're basically talking like modern-day Iraq is, is basically the layout Now, this forced migration happened in stages. It wasn't all at time. It was waves. They started with the elites. They rounded up the nobility, the royals, the wealthy people, the educated. They were deported first. Then it continued wave after wave for about 10 years um, of people being forcibly relocated to Babylon before the Babylonians finally just destroyed Jerusalem. Daniel and his friends are part of this first wave, these educated elite who are taken away from everything they know and relocated to Babylon. Verse 3, then the king commanded his palace master Ashpenaz, great name, to bring some of the Israelites of the royal family and of the nobility. Young men without physical defect and handsome, versed in every branch of wisdom, endowed with knowledge and insight and competent to serve in the king's palace. They were to be taught the literature and language of the Chaldeans, that's another word for the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily portion of the royal rations of food and wine. They were to be educated for three years so that at the end of this time they could be stationed in the king's court. Among them were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah from the tribe of Judah. The palace master gave other names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. We've got our four main players, right? The the people you know. Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These are the guys we remember from, like, the flannel board in Sunday school, right? They're part of the first wave of exiles who are relocated to Babylon. This is familiar, though. Uh, We know these names, so I don't want you to miss what's being described here in the text. This is really important. This is the part that we don't really dig into with the kids. Daniel and his friends are forcibly relocated. They're forced to leave their homes behind. They leave their families, their culture, uh, essentially become Babylonian. They're put in Babylonian clothes. They're uh, taught the Babylonian language, re educated in Babylonian schools. They're even given Babylonian names. This is genocide by any measure. When you invade another country, slaughter most of the people, forcibly relocate the survivors, and force them. To adopt your culture, that's genocide. Think about what we did to the Native Americans, and you'll have a sense of what this was like. Reeducation, new clothes, new names, new language, new culture. Think about what's happening right now to Muslims in China. Think about what happened to Jews in Europe during World War II. This is a systematic attempt to annihilate another culture. That's what's happening to Daniel and his friends. This is not a story for kids. Verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the royal rations of food and wine. Daniel draws a line. He's not going to eat the food. He'll learn the language, he'll wear the clothes, he'll even take a new name. He's not going to eat the food. File that up here because that's important. We're going to come back to that. So Daniel asked the palace master to allow him not to defile himself. Now God allowed Daniel to receive favor and compassion from the palace master. The palace master said to Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king. He has appointed your food and drink. If he should see you in poorer condition than the other young men your age you would endanger my head with the king the palace master likes daniel but he's afraid of the king if i don't feed you if i don't give you the royal rations of meat and wine and you get all you know skinny and sick looking i'm going to lose my head verse 11 then daniel asked the guard whom the palace master had appointed over daniel and his friends Please test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. You can then compare our appearance with the appearance of the young men who eat the royal rations and deal with your servants according to what you observe. So he agreed to this proposal and tested them for ten days. At the end of ten days, it was observed that they appeared better and fatter than all the young men who had been eating the royal rations. So the guard continued to withdraw their royal rations and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and skill in every aspect of literature and wisdom. Daniel also had insight into all visions and dreams. So it worked in a nutshell. Daniel proposes this experiment. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat for 10 days. Then you can evaluate us and decide for yourself. The palace master agrees, and then after 10 days of extreme veganism, Daniel and his friends are are healthier and uh, stronger looking than these other refugees. Now, we don't really know why Daniel drew this line. We don't know exactly why um, he turned down the meat and the wine. It could have been a kosher thing, right? Like uh, maybe the food was unclean. That's certainly possible. But it doesn't really make sense. The Old Testament law does consider certain foods unclean, stuff like pork, shellfish, things like that. But other meat and wine is fine. So why the extreme vegetarianism? Why does Daniel turn down the meat and wine of Babylon? One theory is that this had something to do with table fellowship. In the ancient world, who you ate with, who you sat down at the table with, was just as important. It was just as big a statement as the food you ate. And Daniel refuses to eat at the king's table. I'll wear your clothes. I'll take your name. I'll adopt your culture. I'll even work in your palace. In fact, I will be your most loyal and faithful servant. But I'm not going to sit at your table. We're not going to eat together and pretend this is okay. I'm not going to gorge myself on the king's meat and wine while the rest of my people suffer. What an odd little story. What are we supposed to take away from this story about Jewish refugees living 2,600 years ago who resist empire by going vegan? Like, how does that speak to us today? Most of us have never been there, thankfully. Most of us have never experienced trauma on this level. We don't know what it's like to be conquered, to be forcibly relocated physically from our homes, but we do know something about exile. In an earlier draft of this sermon, I was gonna talk about coronavirus. We lost 4,000 people in a single day this week. First time that's happened, pandemic. And like how many of us have been in a sort of exile since March, cut off from friends and family, uh, unable to worship together in person, um, unable to see folks around the holidays. I was gonna talk about how eerie it looked on New Year's Eve to see Times Square that empty. But then we saw what happened in Washington earlier this week. When a mob of violent rioters invaded the Capitol building. Some of them brought pipe bombs and Molotov cocktails. Five people were killed. I know a lot of us look at the state of our country today. We look at this place we call home, and we don't recognize it anymore. That's exile. We look at our faith, we look at fellow Christians who are buying into this, doing the same thing, and we don't, we don't recognize our religion anymore. That's exile. What hope, what good news, what guidance does the story of Daniel have for those of us who are feeling the weight of exile right here in the 21st century? We're up against some really big challenges. I'm not going to like sugarcoat that. Nationalism, racism, misinformation, uh, the replacement in many churches of like biblical Christ-centered Christianity with this pathetic Christian nationalist parody of the gospel. It's a big challenge. With problems that's big, it can make us feel small. It's like there's nothing we can do. What can we possibly do to make any difference? But that is right where this story has good news for us. Because I think the first bit of guidance, the first piece of advice and good news we can take away from this story is start small. Daniel and his friends lost more than we can possibly fathom. They were up against the biggest empire they'd ever seen. There was no resisting Babylon. There was no, like, usurping or challenging Babylonian rule. So they started small. They started with what they could control. I'm not going to eat that. In the grand scheme of things, it's like nothing, right? Food, you're going to eat different? What difference does that make? But for Daniel and his friends, it made all the difference in the world. This story reminded me of some friends of mine who don't eat meat on Mondays. Uh, They call it Meatless Mondays. Uh, These are some some good friends who, um, they were concerned about the effects of climate change in the world. They did a little research, and they saw that the meat industry is a leading contributor to climate change. So they didn't go vegan, they didn't go vegetarian or anything that extreme, they just gave up meat one day a week, meatless Mondays. They took Mondays and sometimes they would fast, Uh, sometimes they experiment with uh, different vegetarian recipes and things like that, but the point is they don't eat meat on Mondays. And I remember when they told me about this, I kind of shrugged it off at first. I was like, "I I guess that's cool, but like one day a week? What difference is that going to make? That's like a drop in the bucket. And they were like, yeah, maybe. But if everybody did it, if everyone in the United States went without meat one day a week, that would be the equivalent of taking half a million cars off the road like that. Whoa. There's power in the little things. Don't underestimate that. Maybe it's writing your congressman and telling them how you feel about what's happening right now. Maybe it's checking in on a neighbor, calling a friend and saying, hey, how are you doing? Processing this with them. Maybe it's sending a card to a shut-in. Maybe you're worried about the spread of misinformation online, so you resolve to share one article a week from a trusted, established news source. If we start with what we can control, pretty soon we're going to see effects that are way beyond where we started. Start small. That's the first lesson, the first piece of advice. A second bit of guidance that I think we can glean from Daniel and his friends is that sometimes what you don't do is just as important as what you do do. So often when we face these big crises, our first instinct is to say, like, what can I do? And that's, honestly, at least for me, that's when I feel most powerless because it feels like there's nothing I can do. But in moments like that, it's helpful to remember that what we don't do is just as important. When's the last time you drew a line in the sand because of the gospel? When's the last time you abstained from something, opted out of something that everyone else was going along with because you knew it didn't bring honor and glory to God? For Daniel, it was abstaining from the king's meat and wine. For us, it might be letting go of a habit that you know is destructive. That could be a personal place to start. It could be boycotting a company that doesn't pay its workers a fair wage. It might be refusing to laugh at a racist joke or turning off sources of information that are just feeding you propaganda. It could be walking away from a protest when it turns violent. Or refusing to engage with another argument with your neighbor who's just looking for a fight. What won't you tolerate? What won't you participate in? (laughs) When you're feeling powerless, start there and see where it goes. One more takeaway I think we can glean from this story. You don't have to stand out to stand out. This one is huge. If Christians could just wrap our minds around this one and do this well, we wouldn't make a huge difference in the world. You don't have to stand out to stand out. You don't have to be offensive to take a stand. You don't have to antagonize the culture to challenge the culture. You can follow Jesus without being a jerk about it. It's so easy to be offensive. It's so easy to divide, to wage a culture war, to to break a window or charge at a building. And it is so tempting at the same time, with all this darkness and all this violence that we're seeing around us, to just retreat, to kind of cave in, protect ourselves, isolate ourselves, retreat into our, like, safe little Christian ghetto with our Christian friends and Christian institutions, Christian schools, Christian media, while the rest of the world just burns around us. But there is a radical third way, and it's the way that's modeled by Daniel and his friends. They aren't jerks about it. They aren't antagonistic. They don't start a violent revolution and try to overthrow the government. (laughs) These guys take jobs in the government. They work for Babylon. They work for the king who just defeated them. But they don't sell out. They don't retreat and disengage. They don't fall into fear, they stand out without standing out. They adopt a language, they wear the clothes, they take new names, they become part of the culture even as they resist certain elements of the culture. Daniel and his friends seek the peace of the city in which they live. They seek the peace of Babylon. Babylon. That's radical. That's way more radical than retreating into fear or engaging through anger and violence. That's the way of Christ. To engage the culture. To move in to the neighborhood. neighborhood, To be incarnational. To become the very best citizens. The very best neighbors. The very best employees and students. Even as we strive to change and challenge the culture. To impact our community is not out of hate or fear, but out of love. Because God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save it because he loves it. That is the only way for those of us who want to follow Jesus. Jesus. It's the only way we're going to turn the clock back on the violence and chaos we are witnessing and actually make a change. It's the way of Daniel and his friends. It's the way of Jesus and the early church. That is faith in the midst of exile. Let's pray. God help us. Help us to seek the peace of the city in which we find ourselves. Help us to seek the peace of this country we call home. God, we are citizens of your kingdom, but we are ambassadors to this one. So lead us not into despair or violence, but Lord, give us the strength to minister to this broken and hurting world of ours. Give us the wisdom to know what lines can be crossed and which can't. Empower us to start small, to say no, to stand out without standing out. Lord, empower us to follow the incarnational way of your Son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening.
0: If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.